We are continuing on in our Lenten journey, uh, meaning these 40 days or so leading up to Easter, we're following Jesus out into the wilderness where hopefully we're, we're, we're being led by the Spirit. Yes, there will be temptations along the way, uh, where, just like Jesus. He was, he was tempted by the devil and yet led by the Spirit. And so as we journey with him, we're also trying to be creatures of habit. We're trying to cultivate new, new habits in our world, especially post-pandemic. And so this week, as we've journeyed through Lent, you've had some opportunities to kind of tear down some things in your life, but also build up some things in your life. This week, we turned the corner a bit, and instead of having some more inward disciplines like prayer, uh, and solitude. Now we're coming out of that and going, okay, some things that we need to put away are, are isolation. Some things that we need to tear out of our lives are, are isolation and loneliness, and we need to build up in our lives community and friendship. If you'll remember, Lent is this time where we're pleading with God to reorder our hearts. We're admitting then that our hearts are out of order. Our lives are, are, are absolutely out of priority. I don't know how your Lent has been, but I've had daily reminders that my affections are out of place. And Lent is this great opportunity, a great season, um, where we center our lives around the life of Jesus as he went out. So now we go out. And as we are nearing the end of that journey, hopefully what we'll understand is that uh, there is true life to be found in true Christian friendship or community. If you ask any teacher, public school, private school, probably homeschool at this point, if you'll ask any teacher what's the biggest change or what's one of the biggest change, changes you've seen in their students, it's not just that they're behind in reading and math, it's also that our kids of all ages are struggling to cope socially on the back end of this pandemic. On the back end of COVID, what the teachers will tell you is that they are lacking in picking up on social cues. They don't know how to read a room. They don't know how to understand there are other people in a room. Instead, they're, they're used to just being the only people in the room. This is not any more evident than with our probably our COVID babies, the ones that were born during COVID, kept home for a year or two, and now are being re-socialized into places like our toddler area, right? I mean, it's just chaotic back there on days because it's something new. Their whole life has been home. Comfort, mom, dad, videos. We're lacking in social cues. Our kids are lacking in coping skills. And they aren't easily able to deal with disappointment from others. All the things that we intuitively have picked, have picked up on as young kids, they don't have anymore because we've been isolated for so long. And some of this has been because we've needed to. But some of it has also been because we've wanted to. And so if our kids are this way, our kids are just a great beacon of what's going on in our adults. It's just an indicator of what's happening in adults as well, not just as children, because our adults have paved the way. And we, out of uh, a good heart and good intentions, have parented our kids through this pandemic with the best skills that we have. And yet on the other end of it, there are just some unintended consequences of being away from people. We, it is no secret, we are in a mental health crisis, not just for kids, but also for adults. And that will continue on probably for years to come. I remember talking to a couple of mental health expert friends of mine, I'm like, hey man, how's business? How are you doing? Booming, they said. Booming. And that was said with I think a little bit of trepidation about what that's going to mean for them 
over the long haul that they couldn't keep up with their appointment schedule as the pandemic dragged on and on and on. This is our reality, and our reality is we are not okay. Well, what's the fix? Well, I can tell you how God's created us, and I can tell you that there is a great invitation for all of us, whether we have isolated for maybe too long and now we're coming out of it, or we've been out of it for, for, for a while now, um, and we're still trying to navigate some waters. And that is, I think the answer is the church. The, the church, the body of Christ, Jesus himself, I think is the answer, at least according to the scriptures. And we see this all throughout Old and New Testament. But I will tell you this, that most of us, many of us, will be tempted to find solace in lesser friendships. Solace in lesser or less than ideal aspects of community because now you see not just any relationship with uh, will do right with the rise of live streaming again I just said we're, we're, we're kind of killing that for a reason with the rise of live streaming more and more people have opted for a digital experience where you can procure the body of Christ like you do AMC and TBS and TNT and HBO and whatever else and those are all cable channels, and that may be just a little bit behind us. Maybe we just go to Netflix or Hulu or whatever shows that you watch. I don't know what you're watching these days. Um, we have procured the body of Christ. We have consumed upon the body of Christ and some sort of digital experience rooted in consumerism, convenience, and comfort. And friends, this is not going to lead us to the kind of relationships that God is calling us into as Christians. You see, it's not enough to get community at CrossFit or at work or, at, or with your hobbies or with your kids' hobbies. That is not the solution to loneliness as Christians. That's a stopgap for many people, but if we are to follow the way of Jesus, there's something far better for us than just congeniality, just affinity, you see, what's, what sets Christian community and friendship apart are a few things that I just want to lay out for us here at the beginning. Number one, that we gather around the name and fame of Jesus. I was at a gathering recently, and they said, you know, there's a scripture that says that where two or three are gathered, there am I with you. And I was around the table, and I go, no, it doesn't say that. And my wife goes, okay, calm down, Pharisee. She didn't say Pharisee, but she meant it. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says where two or three are gathered in my name. Don't, don't, don't dissolve or, or, or dilute the, the power that's found in gathering around the name and fame of Jesus. That's where God says he'll dwell. When we gather around making his name great, around making sure our lives are dedicated to his fame and his glory, not just where two or three Joe Schmoes are sitting around watching TV. He's not there. He's not there. He's around this kind of gathering, and it only takes two or three of us. It only takes a few of us to somehow just kind of just provoke the presence of Jesus in a spectacular and supernatural way. You see, that's what makes Christian community distinct from what happens at CrossFit or the baseball field or the softball field or your cubicle or your office. Can it happen there? Yeah, 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 if you gather around the name and fame of Jesus. 
but also Christian friends and community. See, this is one of the other things that makes us distinct. We exist not to just kind of talk about surface things. We exist to help one another grow into the kind of person that Jesus is making us into. We're here to help one another, not just enjoy one another. Don't make an idol out of enjoyment in a world that's based on, 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 on entertainment. Don't make an idol out of that. Instead, we are here to help one another grow. That's going to mean you've got to step into discomfort with one another. You can't avoid the people that bother you in the Christian community. No, this is like a family. And you don't get to pick who your brothers and sisters are in a family. Instead, you just got to learn to deal with them around Thanksgiving. Or Easter. Ooh, that's more appropriate coming up. And you learn some things, and you start to, so start to do, be a little bit introspective around that kind of community to realize, like, why does this person get under my skin so much? I probably need to repent of trying to control them. And it's not theirs to change. It's something in me that must change. But more than that, there's this dedication to one another, like a marriage, where we get into a Christian community that we're so committed to one another. We'll talk about this in a minute. That, that we, we see something in another and we go, you know what, man, this isn't good for you. Christian community steps into conversations like that that are more normal and in a regular rhythm than they are just off to the side. We're people that are called to grow together. We need one another in order to become who God says we already are, and that is holy, saintly, perfect in his eyes, and we are all on a journey to become more and more like Jesus. So when we're out of step with the gospel, when we're out of step of the ways of Jesus, we have good friends that say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you're out of step here. Let me invite you into the pathways of Jesus. That's what makes Christian community so powerful, so compelling, is that we build deeper relationships built on that kind of grace, Corrective, training, forgiving, repentant grace. We have all kinds of examples of this in the Bible. I picked one that I've never preached on before, but I felt would be helpful for us. David has two really, really good relationships in the Bible that you can learn from. Uh, one is with the prophet Nathaniel, who comes and, and, and corrects David in his sin. But the other one is with King Saul's son the heir to the throne of Israel named Jonathan. And it's with that uh, particular friendship that I want to unpack for us to help us kind of see a few things that we can see and learn from about what Christian friendship, what Christian community can be rooted in. And so the first thing I want to talk about is that Christian friendship is rooted in the Christian God. And you might think, well, that's like, no duh. Like, did I just say no duh? I did. No duh. Oh, help me. We're already on a bad path. We're in point one, and we just said that. Perfect. Christian friendship. Forget it. Anyways, we're just going to move on. Christian friendship is rooted in the Christian God. This cannot be assumed. Just because you go to church together doesn't mean you're actually rooted in the same God. More so, are you not rooted in the same convictions about the same God? This cannot be assumed just because you're sitting in a row on a Sunday morning. Actually, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. There is great danger in partnering up with non-believers. He says that what, what fellowship, what partnership, what commonality is there in darkness and in light? 
with Satan and with Jesus. He ain't playing around here. Darkness, light, Satan, Jesus, idols, and the living God. And we usually, pastors usually kind of quote that to those that are thinking about getting married and say, are you equally yoked? But it's also for friends, deep soul, this kind of soul-like, soul friendship, right? That's, that's the level to which Jonathan and David were knit together. If you look again at verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, that is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There is a, a deep, the deepest part of humanity is, is put together with another on this level. It is where ultimately at the center of who you are, your soul is knit to another. It is rooted for Jonathan and David and therefore uh, for us, it is rooted in their faith in the God of Israel. This isn't rooted, this isn't at the core or the center, a commonality of hobbies or kids sports or the NFL or even the Astros. That one hurt me a little bit. Nor is it a working relationship or one found at the gym. It can start there, but a soul friendship, a Christian friendship goes much, much deeper. It must move from surface, hey, what's your name, to significant, hey, I have a wife and three kids, and this is what I love to do on the weekends, to spiritual, oh, man, you're a Christian too? Yeah, me too, to soul level. I don't know about you, man, but I'm, I'm struggling these days. Oh, man, let me, let me hear more about that. You see it? This progression from surface to soul level. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's like a funnel. Okay, you've got the surface people all day long. They live online, right? They don't ever see you. They just kind of block you or unfollow you or whatever based on your opinions. Or you do the same with others. It's up here at the big top of the end of the funnel. And as you get lower and lower and lower, there are few and few of that kind of soul friend. More on that in a moment. This has recently been true in my life. I've reconnected with someone that I met at Starbucks about seven years ago. Um, saw him at Torchy's, reconnected with him very quickly over something I think was spiritual. Um, we followed up. We had coffee this week. And so we've gone from surface, hey man, what's your name? Who are you? you like, let's hang out, to, to something significant, to now something spiritual. And now we're on the soul level, I think. We're hopefully becoming friends in a way where like we're talking about the same kind of God and the same kinds of conviction about God where there's tears in our eyes. We're longing for something greater to be birthed in us than what's really been cultivated over the last couple of years. Jonathan and David had a deep conviction, not just in a belief in the same God as if, yeah, Jesus is real, but the same kind of beliefs about the same God, you see this in the scriptures, and I'll just pull, pull it out for us. They both believed that their lives, their very lives, were in the hands of the God of Israel. You remember when Jonathan, just before this, fights, excuse me, David fights Goliath. David goes out, and he just starts talking trash to Goliath, like pretty, pretty, pretty gutsy, right? He says this in 1 Samuel, Samuel 17, 45. Then David said to the Philistine, they don't even name him. That's how, like, how much hubris is going on in this moment. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Oh man, he is ready to rock because he is not dependent upon his own strength. He's dependent upon the Lord of hosts, whom you have defied. Jonathan says the same thing in a couple of chapters before this. Jonathan and his armor bearer are crawling up on the rocks and they're looking down on this garrison of Philistines. And as they're doing that, they're risking their lives. They could easily be seen on the rocks by the Philistines. And in fact, they do see them and the Philistines provoke them to come down, which Jonathan sees as a sign from God that we're gonna go and take them out, right? And he says to his armor bearer in that moment, two of them against what was against 20 I don't know about you, but I can't take on 10 dudes. Two of them against 20, Jonathan says this. Hey, Jonathan said to his young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Oh, more trash talk. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be. It may be. He ain't certain. But his, his, his life is in the hands of the living God. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Our success or failure is absolutely in the hands of God. And this was the thing that after Jonathan saw David taking down Goliath, he was like, that is my dude right there. That is my guy. We live the same kind of life. We believe the same kinds of things about the same God. Our hand, we're not gonna, we're not gonna beat around the bush here. We're living the same kind of life. I'm, I'm knitting my soul, the deepest parts of me, to that guy. And come hell or high water, I'm riding with him. And that's exactly what Jonathan does. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But for us, may I invite us into three places that we could start to develop these sort of convictions for these types of relationships very quickly. It's just a subpoint still of one. You're welcome. Three places to start, like the Trinity. You gotta have a deep conviction about the fact that you were made in the image of a communal God. Father, Son, and Spirit, all relating to one another, all loving one another, all glorifying one another, all living basically to die to themselves to give to the other. Therefore, community, true, true Christian community is not optional because this is your identity. It's who you are. You are made in the image of a God who is communal. Therefore, you also are communal. So withdrawing and isolation will never go hand in hand with a thriving Christian. You'll only get more and more deeply rooted in unhealthy rhythms in your emotions and how you treat one another. You won't get healthier alone. You won't. As a matter of fact, Larry Crabb, the late Larry Crabb, one of my heroes, would say this in one of his books. The reason why therapists are so busy is because there are so few spiritual friends. You want to know why Wiley's so busy? You want to know why Roger is so busy? You want to know why many Christian counselors are so busy? It's because we have said, it's too much drama for me. I'm out. We've conversely said, I'm not trusting anybody with any of my stuff. I'm going to go. I'm going to smile. I'm going to check off the list. and We're going to be good. But we're not good, are we? 
No, there's something far better than that kind of relationship that God is inviting us into to live out of our identity as a Trinitarian people. We are loved by our Father, proved, that, that was proven by the fact that he sent his Son and then indwelled us by his Spirit to live one, with one another. We cannot live isolated and at the same time be obedient. That's the first place that I would start. Understand this is our identity. The second place I would, I would go is the gospel. Christian friendships cannot be built without the humility of deeply understanding the gospel because it's only the gospel that fuels one another to fight for another's holiness, to forgive when we are wrong and to pursue Jesus in all of life. I've mentioned Nathan. If you want to go read about him, 2 Samuel 12, beautiful confrontation after David uh, basically, uh, you know, takes Bathsheba as his home, eventually murders Uriah, and Nathan comes and confronts him in the name of the Lord. David repents. He sees his sin and is restored unto uh, his position with God. Nathan is the one that is deeply rooted in what God expects of David. But finally, sovereignty. Sovereignty. You see, good friendships, good friends help you see the truths from lives, lies. If there's one thing that has helped me, helped, helped kind of steady me in the seas of circumstances, is, is good friends coming around me and saying, but the Lord is sovereign over this, brother. I know that you've just had unbelievable loss in this area of your life, and yet remember God's promises. Remember that he's going to work this for your good, that he's got a plan, that he's not absent from this, that he's not sleeping like Baal. No, he's, he's deeply, intimately involved in your suffering. And he's drawing you near to himself in ways that you never would have drawn near in intimacy if you didn't walk through this suffering. He's sovereign, brother. He's good, brother. He is near to you and your family in this season. You see, if you want to not get tossed to and fro in the seas of life's circumstances, we need a good, solid Christian friend to make sure that we're not perpetually, spiritually seasick. Ever been seasick? It's awful. You can't shake it once it happens. You've got to get back on dry land. That's the only cure. And your friend is here to get you back on dry land. That's what a Christian friend will do. Center your, things, your life around those three starting places and you'll be in for a good start. It is around the Christian God that we must base our Christian friendships. But it's not only that. Christian friendship is rooted in sacrifice. Verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. There, this is the first of three times where Jonathan and David make a covenant in their relationship. What they're saying is basically what you and I say on our wedding day, that, that for better or worse, and I know it's become like, you know, a hashtag, but truly, this is my ride or die right here. We're going together or we're not going at all. There's a loyalty here that ultimately means you're going to have to sacrifice other relationships. And you see that in Jonathan's life because there's a loyalty to, to, to David that ultimately starts to butt up against his loyalty to his own father. His own father wants David killed. 
The king of Israel, the one that has all the authority, wants David killed. But he knows his son is holding out on him. He knows, Saul knows that Jonathan knows where David is. And all of a sudden, what happens? King Saul not only tries to kill David, but he says, oh, you're going to align yourself with that traitor? I'm going to try and kill you. Not only does King Saul try to throw a spear at David multiple times, but he also does it to his own son, Jonathan, to try and kill him. You see, there's a loyalty, there's a sacrifice that comes in Christian friendship. John covenanted himself to David, which also meant he, again, forsake all other core and deep relationships. True Christian friendship cannot survive without sacrifice. Look again at what the scriptures say about the kind of relationship that Jonathan and David had. Again, verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David. No matter what happens, I am with you. No matter what I have to forsake, I am with you. No matter what it may mean as far as a cost to myself, I'm with you, David, because he loved him as his own soul. In verse 4, how was it then that he demonstrated that sacrifice? And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David. He stripped himself of his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt that held all that together. Everything that identified him as the heir to the throne, he gave to David. And you've got to ask yourself, why? At great cost did Jonathan give up everything. Could you imagine being heir to the throne of a, a whole nation? And you give all that up because you see what God has said about your friend. You see that not only are we committed to each other, not only do we have the same sort of beliefs and convictions about this God, but God has said something about you that he hasn't said about me. No matter if I'm entitled to this position, to this authority, to whatever it is, based on genealogy, it's not mine, it's, it's, it's yours. And in this place where we sacrifice what we think we're owed and give it to our friends, our true spiritual friends, we, we sacrifice all of that and we lay it down and we, we build another up so that they can do what God says for them to do. In the midst of all of that, we're reminded of the kind of love that God has loved us with. That Jesus, he stripped himself of all the securities the robe that he was, he was stripped of in heaven came down to earth, became ultimately powerless in the moment by choice so that we would have and live from his power and his position forever. It's no wonder this is put in the scriptures so that we could see this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, not just what Jonathan did for his friends. So I want to just talk just for a moment mainly to the men. In order to have this kind of relationship where you're sacrificing something for the other, the first thing that you probably have to sacrifice is alone time. I'm a dude. I get it. I like to watch sports by myself too. I like to yell and make a fool of myself too whenever I'm doing X, Y, or Z. But it's a whole lot more fun and meaningful when I invite others into that place and into that rhythm. You go hunting, you go and fish, you go do your thing. Don't go alone. Invite a brother or a friend or someone you want to get close to. And they may look at you and go, I don't even have a kayak. Cool. I have two that you can borrow that I never use. 
or whatever it is that that it may be. Sacrifice some alone time and build into the brotherhood. The men's retreat's coming up. Sacrifice your weekend, your productivity, your efficiency, and don't even give in to the lie that my wife needs me home alone. No, she doesn't. She wants you to go. I already got one of these. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's quietly doing it behind her husband, notice, but she is nodding. She, they want you to go because it is important that we become better men by becoming with other men. So we've got to find ourselves a vision, and that's exactly what John has seen with David. He has seen God's vision for David, and nothing will get in the way. In this place, in this place, there is no room for pride, jealousy, coveting, only celebration of the success of your friend. You see, Jonathan could have said, me too. I have all these military accolades. After all, he may have slain one giant, but if you haven't heard, me and my armor bearer took out a whole garrison of troops the other day. He didn't start to justify himself. Instead, he laid all that he was owed down for the sake of his friend. I'll tell you a personal story about how this doesn't work. There was a time in my past where I was um, looking to get a job. And so, you know, what do you do when you have a job? You um, put your resume out, and then you put some references out, and you trust those people to say nice things about you. Or do you? Because I remember when I was getting this job, uh, that future boss of mine called my best friend at the time. And it wasn't until years later that my eventual boss shared with me, hey, just so you know, he's not who you think he is. Whoa, say what? We're hanging out all the time, like all of life. He goes, no, no, no. I just want to let you know, this is a charade. Okay, awesome. Can we tear down the the house brick by brick instead of just putting a whole wrecking ball to it? No, we can't. And he just let me know. He goes, his reference of you was so bad, we knew it couldn't be true. And my life crumbled in a moment. It was very hard to hear. And it was over... A matter of years, I confronted him. Hey, dude, we should talk. And so we talked. He admitted what he did, although he did deny how severe it may have been perceived. And I said, if you have to say it wasn't that bad as a reference, it was bad. So he took some time. He repented. He confessed his sin. And it's been years but we're slowly building back into the relationship that we once had. So much so that over my sabbatical, I just sensed the Lord telling me, you need to go make sure that he knows that he is forgiven, that you have forgiven him. You've done a bad job making sure he knows he's your brother, you're a soul friend to him, and you need to remind him of the gospel that nothing is over his head between your relationship with him anymore. There's nothing over his head between his relationship with him anymore. And so we went to lunch, and I just said, hey, dude, I just want you to know I, for, I forgive you, I love you, and I don't hold anything against you anymore. And that was all by the Spirit. That wasn't me. I would like to hold things against him. I want to hold him up by his throat because it feels better. <laughs> but that's not the gospel. And you know, what he, you know what he told me? He said, man, I, I, I just, I'm sorry. Tears in his eyes. He goes, I was so jealous of you. I'd seen you come to know the Lord. I'd seen you go to seminary. I'd seen you grow, and I wanted what you were getting. See, so in that moment, 
that, that this relationship between Jonathan and David was not real. But it's in the moments afterwards where that trust has now, yes, been broken, but been rebuilt, where we can live in a way that I think we can, we can probably put each other down as references again. Maybe, maybe, we're working on it. <laughs> it takes time, y'all. It takes a lot of hard work and effort to build these kinds of relationships because you've got to sacrifice what you prefer. Now, students, just for a moment, the world is telling you, just for a moment, students, heads up, the world is telling you that your significance should be found in the quantity of friends. And you get them by being on YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, right? What's your snap? Give me your snap. I got no snap. Get away from me. <laughs> right? They're, 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 they want to they build you up with the, the quantity of popularity. Look, this is in all of us. We've all had to walk through this. Just look around to an adult. And they've walked through this too. We just didn't have Snapchat. We had other nonsense that we had to deal with. Yes, thank God. Right? We didn't have all that. No, no. Your significance, God, God wants you to build not a quantity of a relationship, but quality relationship. Friends, you may have only a handful of this kind of friend over your lifetime. You can't expect to have more than that by the time you're 18. You might have one that sticks with you. You will have a handful of these over a lifetime, 80, 90 years. So friends, students, like, let's start being realistic about what the Bible is expecting of us and let's not spread ourselves thin into all this crazy nonsense, but start to focus in on the one or two that are actually gonna build into your soul and celebrate what God's doing in you instead of actually tear you down or pull you away. Now, if you're not a parent of a teenager right now, just tuck that away for later. Last point I'll make, not just that these Christian friendships are rooted in the same kind of beliefs about the same God, but also rooted in sacrifice for one another. And finally, that they are rooted in vulnerability. Rooted in vulnerability. I just made up this definition, so just it may not be great or, or as thorough as I'd hoped, but I think it's pretty good. So this is what I think vulnerability is in regards to Christian relationships. Vulnerability is believing it is safer to share our failures, fears, dreams, and desires with one another than it is to keep them to yourself. It is the belief that it is safer to share these things than to keep these things. That means there's danger in hiding. And there's safe harbor in sharing my deepest fears, my worst failures, my greatest dreams and desires that I have in life. I don't know about you, but when I start to sh share those things, I want to I like look around and just see who's watching and listening. I don't want to just share those things, even my greatest desires for life, because there's a vulnerability there. There's a risk involved with that kind of cultivating of a relationship. But that we would be a people that would be rooted in this kind of vulnerability. Um, anytime I've led a neighborhood group, we usually start like seasonally and we go, hey, what do you want this neighborhood group to be? And everybody goes, authentic. Man, I just want to have authentic. I want to have genuine I want to be real. And if we're not careful, we'll substitute all of that for vulnerable. 
Here's the deal, like authentic and real and honest is good, but it's also sometimes a narcissistic ploy to just tell it like it is. Or just kind of, kind of give them what they need, just speak my mind, or to just kind of start to procure allies against others. Vulnerability is much different. It's where we humbly trust that the other can wound us with what we've just given them, but they choose not to. If you're not sharing something that is woundable, then you're not being vulnerable yet. You see this with Jonathan. Not only did he just strip himself and gave his soul status and sacrificed his future for David, but he made himself vulnerable. He's no longer acknowledgeable as the heir of the throne, and he has to depend on someone else for his future position, for his future help. It's exactly what Jonathan did when he stripped himself of all that identified him as the heir to the throne. It meant that, G- that Jonathan would not be the king. He would not be protected. He would not be the favored one. Instead, he would have to trust David for protection and position. See, when we're, when we're vulnerable, we are denying control. We are risking our image, and we are trusting God's view of us over what the other person will think of us. And if, it, if it's done right, we will remind one another of God's beautiful view of each other. Vulnerability cannot be cultivated without self-awareness and willing to lay down your life for the benefit of the other. This happens when we say yes to our wife, yes to our husband, yes, that one time, but ultimately for a lifetime because your wife or your husband knows some things about you that they could wound you with, right? They know that in the next fight that you have, they could easily pull the card. You know the card. They could easily pull out that dagger to stab you if they want to, but you trusted them with that thing. You were vulnerable enough in that moment that you know, though they could pull out that dagger, They choose not to. The Christian friendship is in the same vein. That we would grow, that we would cultivate this kind of life together, trusting only those few. Not everyone. We don't trust everybody with that kind of stuff. We trust only a few with that. And so commit ourselves in that way to cultivate the kind of relationships that God has come to cultivate in his people You see, at the end of Jonathan and David's life, we see two pictures of the way that David honored Jonathan because they were vulnerable. Over time, David was on the run for many years, and Jonathan was the one that would go and tend to him, help him, right? And in the moment, 1 Samuel 20, verses 41 through 42, just uh, briefly here at the end, look at what the kind, this is, you got to see this. Over time, God will bless you if you kind of just lean into vulnerability, David and Jonathan, they kissed one another. When they realized that Saul was after David no matter what, they kissed one another. They wept with one another. David weeping the most because he was the one on the run. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. We have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and he departed and Jonathan went into the city. There is a commitment and a sacrifice and a vulnerability there that is not common. So much so that when Jonathan was killed in battle, David said this about his friend as he was eulogizing him. 
I am distressed for you, 2 Samuel 1, 26. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Why? Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary. Surpassing the love of women. I don't know if you know the line of David, but they kind of loved women. I don't know if you know the sin of David, but he kind of loved women. Not in the most healthy way either, right? But Jonathan's love for him satisfied him in a way that no woman could ever satisfy because they were knit together, committed to one another at the deepest levels in a mutually sacrificial and vulnerable way. And I'm just going to ask, do you have a friend like that? Just one. Do you have someone who has the potential to be a friend like that? They may not live in your city. Mine doesn't. Mine has been cultivated over decades. Brother lives in Virginia. We believe the same kind of things about the same God. We, we sacrifice finances and probably our kids' future to vacation together and to make sure we spend one-on-one -on -one time together at least once or twice every couple of years. We sacrifice, and when we get there, we're sharing soul-on-soul -soul stuff. How y'all doing? Sounds like this. Have you forgotten the gospel? No, brother, remind me of the gospel. Help me see Jesus in ways that I, I have forgotten how beautiful and good he is. You have to cultivate, be vulnerable. Do you have a friend that you, that this, that you would, when they die, be able to stand up and say, man, this brother, this sister loved me in a way that far surpassed most other relationships. I leave us with that question, but also this vision. Jesus is the ultimate friend. He calls you, he calls anyone who would obey his words, his friend. The same kind of belief about the same God working its way out in obedience to Jesus. And he says that he has loved us with an incomparable love as he lays down his life for us, John 15, 13. No love is greater than this, than he would lay down his life for his friend. That would be you. Jesus modeled out this kind of relationship. He called his disciples to be friends. They moved from something surface all the way down into the soul level over three years of journeying together. To understand who he truly was, he then sacrificed himself by laying down his life for those who would fumble forward in faith. They would betray him. They would desert him. They would mess things up along the way. And along that way, he told him his greatest fears. Didn't he? Didn't he say to his, his best friends over and over and over again, I'm going to die soon. Okay, great. Well, when you get to heaven, who's going to be the greatest? Guys, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die for you and that kind of nonsense. And I'm going to willingly do it. And he's calling us to do the same thing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for your beloved people. to take us from being enemies of you to being friends. Something that was only reserved for Moses and Abraham in the Old Testament is something now every believer 
across the world for all time has. And that is a knit together, soul level relationship with you. Jesus, not just our Savior, not just our Lord, not just our Master, not just our Creator, but one who drew near to us in our greatest time of need, put our arms around us to show us the way forward and say, friend, take, eat, remember, follow me in all of life and you will live. Remind us that this is no ordinary thing, not just with one another, but with you. Remind us that though we are prone to take these things for granted, you're drawing us to be grateful. Let us show that gratitude this week, not just with one another, but ultimately with you, and let us draw near to the greatest friend we'll ever have. By your Spirit's presence and power, we ask these things. These things. Amen.